Hey everybody, Communications Director Jay Sokol here. My guest today on the pod is Jessica Bullock, who is a senior planner for the City of College Station. Jessica is an absolutely fascinating person to talk to. She comes from Boston and went to school in Philadelphia, and that's where her interest in demographics and sociographics was born. It is a really interesting story. And by the way, her reason for choosing Texas A&M for her master's degree, that's pretty good too. I don't think you'll guess what that is. But one of Jessica's responsibilities in our Planning and Development Services Office is especially intriguing to me. Every month, she calculates College Station's estimated population. So I want you to think about that for a minute. How in the world can she do that with any level of accuracy? And how is she even qualified to do it? Well, we talked about all that. So there you go. That's a quick introduction to my conversation with senior planner Jessica Bullock. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, first of all, let's talk about your background. Mm-hmm. Tell me uh, where you came from mm-hmm. and and where you went to school and how you mm-hmm. ended up here. Absolutely. I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, I went to Philadelphia University for my undergrad, and I did four years there with a ma- uh, bachelor's in finance and a focus, minor focus in human resources. Um, and then I ended up working in a mutual fund company for about two years and <laughs> very random, yes. <laughs> so far, I'm not hearing the word planning. No. <laughs> um, I went to a really small school, and I learned about halfway through that I wanted to be a planner. But the school that I went to didn't have a planning program. So I figured if I took finance, I could maybe make my way into it. Well, what experience made you think planner? Because, I mean, was that accidental somehow? No, it wasn't. Um Growing up in Boston and then living in Philly, um, one of the things that drew me to planning was actually looking at the form of a city, the income differences, um, the racial differences in a city, and how a city is shaped by those items. Um, So that was something that was very interesting to me. And I think my turning point, actually, cool story or not, (laughs) um, my turning point was actually a street in Philadelphia. Um, The street is built on a hill. And if you look at the distance of that street, you see the economic and the demographics change all on one street. So the street tops of this starts at the top of a hill. And as you go down the hill, the actual income and racial uh, status starts to change. So at the top of the hill is sort of the top level mm-hmm. uh, income and yep. socially. And, and mm-hmm. Wow. And as you go down and you actually start to see a change with the shape of the city. At the beginning of the hill, there are a lot of cafe shops, a lot of people sitting outside speaking with each other. As you get down to the bottom of the hill, you start to see more shops that have barricades on their windows and no outside seating. And then at the very end of the street is actually um, old industrial abandoned areas. Right. Um, Germantown Avenue. That's the name of the street. And again, this was Philadelphia? Yes. Mm-hmm. So was that sort of a, a call to action in some way for you? That was for me. Um, and growing up in Boston, um, you know, there's Harvard right across the street from one of our lower income areas in the city. So that's always been something that's interesting to me is how blocks can change and really how urban form kind of sets up your life and where you're going to go and how do we actually handle that within a city that was kind of my huh. <laughs> no that's a great story so so when you sort of had that revelation mm-hmm. then what did you do 
Um, I wanted to get into planning, of course, but the programs offered at my school, I did not have that option. So I figured, okay, well, if I get my degree in finance, maybe somehow I can get my way into the development field and then work my way um, into furthering my education and then becoming a city planner. Okay. Um, after working two years with mutual funds, I realized that that path was not happening. Okay. <laughs> um, so I decided to uh, actually just come to A&M and get my master's. How did A&M even end up on your radar? Um, I actually chose my schools first, of course, for accredited programs, which a and one of the top for planning. Okay. Um, and then after that, by SEC. <laughs> by SEC? Yes. <laughs> so you were ready for football and everything. I was ready for football. My undergrad was really small, about 2,500 students. So I was ready to experience a big school, one with tradition and one with a great football program. Well, all right. <laughs> and so you made it to Aguiland. What year yes. is that? I came here in 2012, and then I joined the city in 2013, part-time. I started part-time, okay. and then I came on full-time in 2014 as a planner. As a staff planner. Mm-hmm. And now you are a senior planner. Correct. So talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you do as a senior planner mm-hmm. for the city of College Station. Um, I do both development review and some long-range planning as well. So the majority of it is development review, which that for me is one of the things that I love. Um, Long-range planning um, a little bit, such as the demographics with the long-range planning or helping out with annexations or um, helping out with neighborhood plans. Those types of things all fall under long-range. But on a daily basis, it's development review. So the site plans that come in, the rezoning applications that come in, um, speaking with the general public on planner on call those are my daily duties that's a lot of stuff it does it may not sound like a lot to to somebody who's listening to this but that's a mountain of responsibility (laughs) i know that it is but part of your duties are to um estimate college station's population Mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit absolutely um so every month just about uh, close to the beginning of the month, I do our population estimates. And those are year-to-date figures that I'm looking at to get an idea of where we're at in the city. So we have every 10 years, the census comes out, and those gives us, that gives us our exact numbers. Um, in between that time, though, we still need to have some type of estimates so that we can plan appropriately. And so with the estimates, what I'm doing is taking the number of residential units that we have issued permits for, plugging that into a calculation and getting our population estimate. What constitutes a residential unit? That includes single family homes, townhomes, duplexes, and apartment complexes. Okay, what about dorms? Uh, Dorms are also included in that, so anytime A&M adds additional residential units on their campus. That's also included. Uh, Dorms actually get calculated a little bit differently than the residential units that I just listed, but they are still included in that calculation. Okay, because we always get asked, Mm -hmm. whatever our population (laughs) estimate is, does that include the students? Yes, the students are included so long as they live within our city limits. So do you have in front of you the number we are at right now, at least through February of 2017? Yes, we are... At 109,857, 109,857. We have not been able to crack this (laughs) 110,000 mark. Well, I have good news. 
I'm pretty sure next month we will hit that. So when we when we look back at March, mm-hmm. you think we'll have made it over? I think so. Let me ask you this. What makes you qualified to perform these estimates? Because there are a lot of people who work back there in planning and development services. Mm-hmm. Why are you qualified to do this? <laughs> um, population estimates is something that takes noticing the trends. It takes noticing, um, you know, what's happening. It really is a, a little bit of Excel skill as well <laughs> because of these formulas and keeping up with what the census is doing. In the master's program, I was able to learn a little bit about population estimates and how uh, the census does that in between time as well. Um, there is a tool actually through the census website that you can get tons of different information in between the census uh, reports. One of the things that I do is pulling in these numbers and noticing trends and how many permits we're actually receiving, keeping an eye on those things and plugging those into um, the formula that we have and keeping track to make sure that those numbers are consistent. And, you know, I know you mentioned the little, the dip that we had. Mm And um, one of the items that plays into that is any demolitions that we see. So, um, you know, when a home is demolished, that plays into the estimates. So, um, around oh, we've that. had a number of things get demolished lately. Correct. Yeah. And so what happened was in that December, November time frame, we had more demolitions than we issued building permits. I see. And so essentially it makes it look like we're losing population. But the reason that you include those demolition permits is because when those units get added back, you can then capture the people moving in. So I'm guessing with everything that's under construction right now, mm-hmm. um, much of it, belonging to the university but Mm -hmm. also some private development too at some point when those come online maybe in the fall what happens then they'll get added in um so that's why i kind of kind of put in that prediction in that march will be our (laughs) 110 break um there are some numbers that i know of now that i'll be adding in um for that population including 100 park that a&m put put over century square yes um, so now that I have those unit numbers, um, I can add that into the equation. So, um, so we'll add 100, 100 Park. Mm-hmm. I guess Park West from A&M will come online. Park West, um, I'm hearing that that's supposed to open in fall of 2017. They have a portion that's open right now, um, but in order for us to get the accurate numbers, we're, we're going to hold off on adding that in until... 2017 fall and that's what 3400 beds yes about that much Mm -hmm. and so in the way that we do the population estimates we actually do it based off of units um, for apartment complexes like that so though that'll plug into the formula just like any other apartment complex that we'd have around the city okay Mm -hmm. and then there's uh i forget the developer dinnerstein or something Uh that's right next to uh the rise rise, yep so that's adding a ton. We've got more that's coming online mm-hmm. along Welburn Road, kind of yeah. near the, the border of the two cities. That's also Dinnerstein as well. It is, okay. Uh-huh. Um, and that's uh, Sterling. Uh, right. I believe that one, Sterling A&M is the, one, the name of that but by development. But by the end of the calendar year, we could have several thousand more people mm-hmm. added to this total. Yeah, and I think um, part, partly fall of last year, and in general fall – uh, whenever you look at these population estimates, fall is the year that you see that big jump. Okay. Um, because a lot of these apartment complexes are trying to come online for students to move in, Sure. our population estimates always have that jump right around August. Um, and you'll kind of see that trickle between August and December. 
because we capture them when they when the buildings are actually open to move in. So we will capture a lot of these apartment complexes around August to December timeframe, and that's when you'll see that jump in our population estimate. Last year, that included a lot of those apartment complexes right there at the corner of 2818 and Holloman. Right. So we had about an additional 3,000 beds come in right around that, that intersection. So we'll probably be around there again for around the city this year. So do you have even a ballpark range of where if you were just guessing today where we'll end up at the end of the year i mean that's a lot of uh-huh. units that you just talked about yeah. uh, so if we're at uh just under one hundred ten thousand right now mm-hmm. wild guess um for the end of this calendar year would be what Ooh, wild guess i think when you include everything probably closer to 112 that's it I'm being conservative. You are being conservative. <laughs> I thought you'd say 115. I, I'm being conservative. Um, and I, I'm being conservative. That's partially my nature. And then just thinking about our average. Sure. Our averages that we have. Could we exceed that? I, I definitely see that being easily done. Yeah. Um, just thinking about the jump that we had last year. Um, in August, we jumped a good 3,000. So... I anticipate <laughs> I anticipate something similar to that again. Now, in your estimating our population, is it purely data-driven or is there some feel involved? The population estimate itself is data-driven. Um, there, is, there are formula numbers that we get from the census for uh, assumptions on the occupancy rate of these apartment complexes that we get or mm-hmm. of these single-family homes that we get. The census also gives us a persons per household number. So the census tells us for every one single family home, there is X amount of people living in there. Okay. So those assumptions um, get plugged into the formula and then it's a data, how many building permits have we issued and how many people are actually moving into those now. Now, you talked about this being important for planning purposes, but mm-hmm. what specifically does this help the city do when, mm-hmm. you, when you have updated numbers month to month? Yeah, these numbers um, actually get sent to various city departments. So, for example, the police department uses these numbers. Um, the fire department uses these numbers. Um, I've spoken with uh, parks department as well about these numbers. So, um, it gives us insight in between the census to make sure that we have the infrastructure available to support the the, the population that we're experiencing. Um, so lots of different departments use these. Um, when we look at our comprehensive plan uh, in between our 10-year or our five-year updates as well, these population estimates also play into that. Um, it kind of is a check to the estimates that we put in 2009. Are we still on track with that? And we're exceeding those estimates that we, that we put in, in 2009. Um, So it gives us a chance to not just use those 2009 numbers and to stay relevant and, and keep that document living and breathing. Are there any other estimates for College Station's population besides what you're doing? In other words, is the U.S. Census Bureau doing this or is mm-hmm. somebody else doing this? Yes, the census does. Um, the American Fact Finder is a website uh, that can be used to get similar information. 
Um, they also do break it down by demographics as well, and there's all estimates. Okay. So the numbers that I'm doing in between time is strictly building permit assumptions, straight bottom line population number. But how close are your numbers and their numbers, typically? Typically, they're pretty close. I would say my numbers, the difference that I'm seeing is the growth that A&M has, which I don't believe is being captured through that uh, census data yet. Okay. So the number that I'm off from them is just spot on with the new units that A&M has added. So you feel like you're in the ballpark. I feel like I'm in the ballpark. Okay. <laughs> I guess my true test will be 2020. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about that. So when, when the 2020 census uh, arrives, mm-hmm. how much pressure are you going to feel <laughs> to show just how good you are? Oh, man. I think I, I think about this all the time. Um, and, you know, for me... And, you know, you talk about qualifications of doing it. Um, I'm constantly evaluating the formulas and the information because it is so data driven. Um, I'm constantly evaluating, is the data correct? And so it's something that I'm constantly looking at to make sure that when 2020 comes, we haven't overestimated or underestimated. Um, I want to get that as close to accurate as possible so that we're planning appropriately. in 2020 will be my true test. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I was here in 2010. Uh-huh. And, I know. And whoever was back there doing it at that time got scary close. And I don't know if that was skill or that was pure <laughs> luck because, I mean, it was like uh, within 40 or yeah. 50. No pressure. Uh, our numbers versus <laughs> the census numbers. Yep. And back in 2010, let's see, I have it written down here. Oh, we were... Uh, the census had us at 93,857, mm-hmm. 93,857. Mm-hmm. Right now, our estimate is at 109,857. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, so, can, you know, <laughs> can you get it closer than that? That's my goal. Oh, that's, good. <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> so what else have I not asked you about in terms of this particular responsibility of yours, mm-hmm. estimating population that whether it's a trend, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, just some interesting things you run across during the process that you think people would like to know. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the, the items that I help with is, let's say, for example, uh, you know, Parks is updating their master plan. I can get called in for that to help them with planning parkland. Um, you know, what are our projections? What are our estimates to be able to help with that? Online, um, we do have information that number gets posted every month, so that's updated where there are two charts. You can see yearly and monthly how our population has changed. We also have our 2012 demographic report, which goes into more detail about housing, about the economy, about race, um, about age, about gender. That information is all in that demographic report. And so in 2020, that's information that, once again, we'll be putting out Um, with help from the census data. So this is part of the planning world, and I am charged with taking that on but it's it's been pretty fun and that's my goal is to get as close as possible <laughs> come 2020 <laughs> and and i knew this back in 2010 when we were doing the big educational push but you're going to have to remind me the census captures where you live on a particular date isn't that right yeah it's the day when you file your actual your, your paperwork you're adding your address and information in there so if you are a student for instance mm-hmm. and maybe you're 
filling this out on May 1st. Mm-hmm. It's where you reside on May 1st, not ne- necessarily where your permanent address is Correct. back where your family lives. Correct. So if you're moving during that time, it's going to capture you in whatever whatever uh, geographic area you were at the time that you filled out your, your survey. Okay. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm impressed with what you do, and uh, I appreciate what you do. I look forward to getting these new numbers every month, and I've got no use for it. I don't rely on them at all. But uh, I find it fascinating uh, that you do this work in addition to all the other work back in planning and development mm-hmm. services. So thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, I enjoy every month uh, when I send these numbers out, the different reactions that I see people, you know, thinking everybody knows we're growing, but to actually see the number or the estimate is always fun and good to see. <laughs> Will you come back and talk to me again when all of these new units come online? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's that's the fun that's the fun time is around August, September. That's when our population estimates really change. <laughs> I'm bringing you back. Sounds good. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. If you have a question for Jessica or you just want to tell her you've enjoyed getting to know her a little bit through this podcast, send her an email. It's at jbullock at cstx.gov. jbullock at cstx.gov. And I know she's going to appreciate what I just did to her inbox. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. I'm Jay Sokol. Thank you.